Hey guys, this is Christopher Sarda at Chaos and Comics on Instagram and Twitter and YouTube. Um, I've never really called this podcast the Chaos and Comics podcast because theoretically it's a, a podcast about anything I want to talk about that's not sports. We have a sports podcast called at Chaotic Sports. Find that on Twitter or in your podcast feeds, also on YouTube. But uh, this is my podcast that I do on and off um, about the solicits for a certain month. In this case, it's June, and I'm doing uh, Marvel solicits only. And if you've listened to these in the past, this is really just this is really just me talking about Marvel, the state of comic books, the way I feel about the characters or the writers or the covers. So it's it's a real general comic talk where you know the the topics that I talk about are sort of inspired or make me think of things as I'm looking through the solicits so I'm looking through the June solicits I don't even think previews has come out I'm gonna give you context for the time that I'm recording this in a second the previews hasn't come out so I'm just gonna flip through the solicits on Newsarama they always come out a little bit earlier there so when previews actually gets printed and is put out it could be uh some of these could be off. That's, that happens occasionally, or or pooled, or a cover changed, or a covers revealed even. So um, that's always a there's always a chance that'll happen, of course. So for those of you actually listening to this in June, I, I generally try to repost these um, for the month that they're coming out. So you know, even though I do them two months or more ahead, I'll be like, here's the June comics and. You know, you just have to get the sort of the most of the time the context doesn't matter, right? Because 99% of what I'm talking about is going to be there, and it doesn't matter whether I recorded these up two months ahead or two months after, uh, or or that day or whatever. But uh, the context right now is uh, in Nevada here in Las Vegas. We are in a lockdown. I'm taking a walk, so this is also also like a, a comics walk, a comics chat walk or something. So. That's the, we've got a little bit of wind. I am a, against a mountain. Las Vegas is a valley. And if you don't, you know, most, if you live here, you don't really live on the strip or anything, right? Who lives on the strip? That'd be expensive. So, you know, the outskirts of Vegas is a, is a valley. So that means more wind. So you're probably going to hear a little bit of wind. There are some cars going out and about. And in fact, it's a, I saw the wind through the window. I thought, I'm going to wear a sweatshirt, but, uh, uh, I'm feeling the heat now, like it's getting hot. So you may even hear me taking off my sweatshirt in the middle of this podcast. That's very, that's very possible. So anyway, that's the context there. So we're just going to take a walk. We're going to talk about Marvel's... The stuff Marvel is supposedly releasing in June. As of this moment, that could all change. But luckily, I could just change the title and, you know, the tweets and stuff. <laughs> if, this ends up, if these end up being July releases or even later... Um, but you will know as you're listening to this podcast that at this moment, I think they're June and they could not be. And like I said, in general, we're just going to talk about some of these characters and writers and whatnot. So let's open it up. I've already gone on long enough, so uh, let's talk some comics. Um, talking out loud and walking, I'm surprised. I feel pretty fit, but sometimes you, you know, like we went and played basketball and I'm fine. But sometimes you do something specific. Like I remember when a friend said that I had a friend who played a triathlon. So he's, he would like triathlons. And uh, took him to do, to do jiu-jitsu for his first time. And I'd never seen him so tired. He's normally like 
super fit like when he would play like you know soccer or basketball or something he was always like always still had energy because he was so fit and then he did something different and uh and he started feeling a little bit more tired um now that's a, a bad example because i'm just walking and talking but I guess I just need to learn how to breathe in between these sentences. What I would say is even if I started, I listen to everything on 2x. So I think sometimes I try to talk that fast or I'm really disappointed in myself when I try to talk slow. Um, so I don't know. It throws me off a little bit because when I'm talking live, it's fine, right? Like if I'm on a live stream on YouTube, it's fine. But for most of you guys, when I listen to podcasts, it's not like insulting. It's just my mind words. I pump it up to like 1.75 or 2. Same with audiobooks. If the audiobook's doing something really technical, you know, it might be 1.5. And if it's really simple, like a lot of Star Wars books, they uh, they get the um, 2.5 treatment, if I'm able to do that, right? So, anyway, I got them pulled up here. I might take a lot of deep breaths. Who knows? Who knows how that's going, but... Uh, number one on this, and I'm on Newsarama, so if you just uh, Google Newsarama, June solicits, you're going to see exactly what I see. And if something's different, uh, when previews gets printed, which I'm sure it will be, considering the whole coronavirus scare and whatnot, uh, then we'll make adjustments. I might even do another one of these, who knows. Anyway, so something I was surprised to see was Nonstop Spider-Man. I hadn't heard of it. I didn't, uh, normally something like that, like it leaks a little bit before or Marvel tells you about it before. Joe Kelly's writing it, so he's um he's one of the more important Marvel writers that doesn't have the you know that doesn't have like the the build that some uh some other writers uh, have gotten and and I feel like the mid two thousands before the what I'll call like the Warren Ellis crew of Fraction and DeConnick and Zdarsky before and Kieran Gillen before they all really got started um. You know, it's almost an empty, an empty era of of writers that are really like thought of as great. You know, I know you can think of Grant Morrison and and the the new X Men. I guess Bendis came out of that era. I'm trying to think of what Bendis's first stuff was, but where I would have first heard of him would have been uh, uh, in the Ultimates days. And I might just have be having a brain fart, and you could tell me something he did before, and I'd be like, oh yeah, that stuff's important too. <laughs> but uh. I obviously had to, because why would they give them an entire world, an entire universe, and they don't just do that for new people, right? So anyway, Joe Kelly's writing this, Chris Bocciolo's writing that, uh, also writing it, and it's, um, what the solicit makes me feel like it is, and luckily this number one doesn't really give up a lot of plot, which I, I like, and I'm even, I'm even by this just because Spider-Man in a miniseries, I'm coming up on an intersection now so you might hear some cars. Spider-Man on a miniseries is is sort of like the way I like to like dip my foot in. I don't feel like I'm getting into the big soap opera of Spider-Man. We're gonna have to worry about the giant crossovers and stuff. And the ASM I have read has only been okay. So if I get something like non-stop Spider-Man that's selling itself as an action book, you know, uh, makes me think of like Apocalypto. If you guys remember that movie, by uh, directed by. Um, what's his name from Lethal Weapon and then directed Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson, there you go. It's, I guess it's not very much remembered, Apocalypse, no one talks about it, but that was like straight action. Also, uh, comics-wise, rem reminiscent of Cemetery Beach, which uh, the aforementioned Warren Ellis wrote, that was 
really like plot was happening around a continuous action sequence. So this is what I expect non-stop Spider-Man to be, and that's what they seem to be implying here. So it's something that I will look into. It might also be something that, hey, that's really cool. I'll get into trade or a hardcover. I mean, it's the way... I'm happy I read Spider-Man Life Story issue to issue. But um, not so much... Uh, I mean, I just would have preferred or been happier if it were if it were in the in the form of a trade or even a nice hardcover because I think that like the story was that good, that important, that creative uh, of a thing to do. So, um, nonstop spider might be the same same thing. I normally do grab the number ones, but I'm finding that's a little bit of a mistake too. Uh, as if you heard me talk on the on YouTube or anywhere else, um, I'm starting to like. I have this thing where, okay, I'll buy number ones to sort of stay current, because I want to do that. I want to be able to talk about what's current. Uh, and then to decide whether I'm going to buy the trade or not. Because, uh, you know, even reading in trades, even if you didn't save money, reading the trades is uh, a better reading experience to me. Uh, especially the style that they're doing it in. But then I have the same token. A lot of these number ones are $4.99. Um, oftentimes if it's like Wolverine or a real big story, you know, they're $7.99 and I know you get more pages and stuff, but they actually are more expensive to be honest, you know? So it's just as a, uh, from a financial analyst point of view, uh, just number ones are easier to market. Obviously, I think a lot of this is obvious and people will still pick them up, you know, and even though the numbers, num numbers might drop what this implies. So the even though the units might drop, what this implies, they don't drop in relation to the price of the book, especially um, when you consider how popular the character of the team is. So if you think of the 899 books that they've done, um, they're all huge, you know, huge players for the respective companies. So the recent X-Men and Wolverine, and then the anniversary issues for Action Comics, for Batman, for Wonder Woman. Robin was the same price, and I have a feeling that didn't sell as well. It seems to be getting a lot better reviews than the other three anniversary issues, though, so. Anyway, we'll see how we do it with uh, Spider-Man nonstop. Next up is, um, this is interesting for two reasons. One is the writer, Steve Orlando, who was, um, to me, was basically the great Pac of DC. Like, he just seemed to be on all of DC's books all the time. And I liked him. I liked what he did a lot in Martian Manhunter, which I haven't finished. And I'm starting to notice I haven't finished a lot of these miniseries. So um, that's more of an internal thing. Like, hey, finish these. Don't just stop because you got to issue eight and then you didn't read them immediately or something like that. But uh, so he finished Martian Manhunter. He's been on Batman, Wonder Woman, a bunch of other stuff. And um, now he's doing Darkhold Alpha. And I don't think this is going to be... My guess is this is not going to be received very well. I feel like the sort of dark mystical stuff is not being received as well by audiences now, like they were, say, in the 90s. That's sort of more my wheelhouse. I do, I collect all the sort of darker mystical stuff from Marvel, especially from the 90s when it's cheaper. Like I just, you know, Ghost Rider, some of the Doctor Strange stuff. Um, the Midnight Suns crossover involved, um, you know, uh, Johnny Blaze, the Ghost Rider book at the time, a book called The Dark Hold, and Spirits of Vengeance, and 
and a, a couple other things, right? And and so I collect that. I like that. That's my wheelhouse. I also like um, Chaos Comics from the 90s, which, you know, people only th- people think of that as, like, Lady Death boob cover buys. But I like... I like the stories inside. And that's not to say that I think that they're Grant Morrison-level stories or Alan Moore or anything like that. I'm saying they're more in my wheelhouse, you know? Like, if you're a punk rock guy, you're going to like... You're going to like some more generic sounding punk than, you know, than the average person who says they listen to everything, right? We all say we listen to everything. You know, there might be a couple exceptions, but we all have, we all cast wide nets nowadays in the world of music. But, uh, but, you know, we still have our few genres that, that are our main genres and we'll be a little bit more open to the generic sound of those, right? And, um, you know, so that's like me with, like, say, death metal or some doom metal bands. Uh, and I know a lot of friends that are punk guys, that that's their, that's their thing, right? Like, I, mean, I like a lot of, I like a lot of generic stuff, too, so, of all these, uh, of all these individual genres. But that's my idea with some of the dark stuff in, uh, uh, in, like, comics. And it doesn't have, you know, the explicit evil stuff's sort of lame. But, uh, but, um you know, when it's done in a cool tongue-in-cheek way, like Ghost Rider is, and some Doctor Strange, and, and this Darkhold Alpha, which I expect, and then uh, Chaos Comics, so Evil Ernie, Lady Death, Purgatory, all those kind of characters, then it, you know, it's my wheelhouse, so I just sort of enjoy it, right, and sort of being, probably, probably being the metalhead, too, um, mixing that in there, so Spawn's the same way, I suppose. So Darkhold Alpha has a chance, with me at least, I don't know how big it'll get, um, for it to touch people mainstream-wise. I think it'll be the fact that Dr. Doom's involved in it, and I gotta say that's a, a pretty cool cover, even though it's, um, it's somewhat generic, that cover. The drawing, I just think the design is pretty cool. Who did this cover? Greg Smallwood. So, good job by Greg Smallwood. He has a particular style. It looks like it might be cartoony I can't think of any other Greg small would work but the name's familiar so I'm sure I've seen I'll have seen it but Dr. Doom getting a hold of the dark hold um you know obviously Dr. Doom has a big history in magic but more in the context of Fantastic Four not as much as uh you know in the Ghost Rider Mephisto universe so let's go on to the next one so Shang-Chi there's a character I've never been interested in um And I'm ready to fully admit that, hey, the movies are coming out, so I'm going to watch the movies. That makes me a little bit more interested, but I'm more likely to read his history, Um, especially considering his history has a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a a racist bent. So to know about how that's changed and what they've done with it, the whole Fu Manchu, I think, being his father and whatnot, um, and Fu Manchu being considered, at least what I read, um, from the community, from the Asian community as being somewhat, you know, like a, a racist caricature. You know, and obviously that's changed and stuff. So I'd really want to read more of that. And um, just to get context, not because I'm a racist, but just to get the context. And then just start seeing how that character sort of evolved. I, I feel the same way about Eternals, really, that I don't know that much about the Eternals. I know a lot more now because, you know, we have to pretend to have been experts. <laughs> but uh, when the movies come out... But, um, so it's the same, the same idea that that's what I would rather do a little bit, um, than pick up the new stuff. 
but I, I may look into it, especially if it turns out to be good. Um, Jean uh, Luen Yang is the writer. I'd have really loved if they would have got the writer from uh, that's writing Swordmaster. And if that guy would have, if they'd have picked up the the artist whose name is um, oh man, I don't want to ruin it. I think it's uh, Gung Z, but I don't want to. That's not. I, I'll probably see his name down here because Swordmaster is still being solicited. Thank God, somehow. Hey, and these covers are beautiful too. So, Jim uh, Chang, Inyak Lee. I don't know who's doing what, but there's one cool ass one with a golden fire dragon around him, and he's in a sort of a kung fu pose. And hey, it's comic books, so I don't have to tell you nunchucks are stupid because they are. But uh, it's comic books, so if Shang Chi's using nunchucks, it's okay. We'll be already. Um, in the second half of Empire, and, uh, you know, month to month, my, my ideas or my opinions on, uh, big Marvel events change, you know, and, and I think, I think that they, I think in general, they're bad writing and they suffer because of all the tie-ins. If I were a financial analyst for Marvel, though, I'm pretty sure that I would be okay with the tie-ins. I would say you have to do them, especially if you, especially the marketing money you put behind these things and, uh, you know, to get them to sell and stuff like that. But uh, they do ruin the stories and eventually it's going to, in the future, and this is, would be hard to track mathematically or financially, in the future I think it will bite them in their ass. So typically in my job, and this is real high level, um, I wouldn't be able to answer that question for people, right? Uh, unless I had some kind of history or something like that, I would be able to say that, hey, these uh, these tie-ins and, and watering down the story, you know, Al Ewing and Dan Slaughter, great writers. Like, there's a part of me that just thinks, uh, from a you know respecting writing sort of fan, that hey, you guys gotta just let them let them write their story and then do spin-offs afterwards or something like that. Because um, tie-ins in general, I've I've just I just have a bad taste in my mouth with them, even though, like, oh, the Punisher tie-in for War of the Realms I thought was good. You know, there's too much going on at once. Um, anyway, I wouldn't be able to answer the question on whether you should or shouldn't do them, because at least in the short term, um, they probably do increase revenue and uh, just, like, act as a, a marketing tool for the event, like, make it feel bigger, because every book on the shelf says empire on it swore the realms or absolute carnage or whatnot right but in general the comic reading public is sick of it i don't know anyone that says i love it we at best at best we occasionally get caught up in them right it's, uh, especially if you haven't read in a while or it's uh attached to a book that you are reading religiously so you know i wasn't reading thor religiously i was coming on and off that but venom i was uh, and I was excited for Absolute Carnage, and the main storyline of Absolute Carnage was pretty good, I thought. There were some corny pieces to it, but um, overall, I thought it was pretty awesome. But, you know, the tie-ins, the tie-ins really bogged down, bogged the story down a little bit. The Venom tie-in was terrible. I mean, that was just, that was just horrible. Um, but, uh, the, uh -huh. Some of the other ones were okay. The, I didn't read all the Miles Morales ones. That was okay. And I could see how it would make money. But you almost need someone with a vision. And I could be that person too. But from a financial, you know, if I had to put it all in a spreadsheet, it would be hard to prove that this was bad. 
um, unless I had like historical sales of tie-ins, uh, unless I can somehow correlate tie-ins uh, hurting the main book more or having people drop the main book after a big tie-in. I mean, maybe I could, you know, prove it uh, financially or statistically, but it'd be, it'd be a lot tougher, right? You really, you really need like a, an editor or someone to make a, a overarching decision that, hey, the way to do it for long, for a long-lasting manner, is the way Hickman did it, and and have no tie-ins, make it an event, cancel all the books. You know, if you do think of Hoxpox, Hoxpox actually did the exact opposite. Not only did there, were there no tie-ins, he canceled every X book. So you had Hoxpox coming out, you know, either House of X or Powers of Ten coming out every week. So for twelve weeks, you only had twelve books. You know, for X-Men. At least historically, that's crazy, because uh, now and prior, you know, there was always you know, five, six, seven, eight X-Men books a month, you know, up to up to there at least, right? So, I mean, I guess Hot Fox isn't that different if you think about it, because you got six. You had four, no, it would have came out to four a month, because you really, pretty much got one per week when that came out. So, I'd probably recommend against that, so maybe... Maybe like a concurring storyline that's an event. Um, but for the most part, you know, Hickman maybe did it right because after Hawkspox was over, we were buying way too many X titles. How long has it been since a significant amount of comic readers slash collectors were actually reading every X title? Now, of course, that doesn't last, right? I mean, a lot of people will just buy all the number ones and, you know, the trail off around number three, like is normal, but... There's a good group of people that's still reading them all. I'm reading them all still. So um, that's the way I feel. I know I didn't talk about Empire specifically because I'm not reading it. Um, but uh, just the way I'm thinking right now, like sort of without putting it in, in, in a spreadsheet or without analyzing it all, the, the kind of thought I give to, um, to these events, like I'd have to really look at like financials and stuff and and sales to really cut it up and I have to and to know whether it's a good idea because it, it's a strain mentally on on the reader I think I, I don't know anyone that says I love giants like I said your best bet is that you just get caught up in it and uh and I would have to I guess correlate uh, past sales and the sales of the book afterwards you know it'd be it'd be a project even if I have all the data which I didn't so that's why I'm just talking high level uh, so Empire, so they're actually putting out four and five. And um, the other thing I'll say about events is that I haven't given up on them. I got annoyed because I was, you know, I got involved in all three. I bought all three of the big events and some of the tie-ins last year for Marvel. So that would be House of X, Powers of X, Powers of Ten, um, Absolute Carnage, and War of the Realms, like I said. And maybe another one, I can't remember. And uh, I didn't get caught up in Deceased on the DC side, which maybe I should have. But, um, but yeah, it costs a lot of money, and I also don't think that the writers, the main writers, who I think were all good, Donnie Cates, Jason Aaron, uh, Hickman, I said was a little bit different, but let's say Al Ewing here, I think that they, I think that all the auxiliary writing sort of screws up their narrative, to be honest, you know, so, like, War of the Realms, that last issue was incredible to me as a reader, but all the issues before it were a little bit slow. But you could tell that this is the idea that Jason Aaron had a, the whole way 
And uh, if he were allowed to be a great, a good writer, he could have tightened up the storyline and to get to that point that he did in, in the last issue. So I'll probably feel the same way about Empire, but I still like to be involved in the story. So I can do two things, and this is what I'm going to do with Empire. And I'm going to do it with Contagion, which was sort of like a mini event uh, from a couple months ago that uh, looked like it featured the thing. I don't even know anything about it. Also, Contagion. What are, what's happening right now? As, as I'm listening to this, and you may be listening to it in the future, that there's a contagion. So, is either I'm going to, I'm going to wait and, and, uh, and, you know, see it on TFA or see it online for cheap, or I'll just pick up trades if I feel like pre-ordering them and my bill's not too high, you know, the trade, the trade for Empire is going to be one trade because it's just six issues, or it'll be two trades that'll work in the more important tie-ins, which is fine. You know, I don't need the whole mix. Um, and uh, that's what I do with Absolute Carnage, actually. I bought the I bought the compendium, so I'll just be selling my Absolute Carnage individual books, um, probably for like half price or something on eBay. When they sell, they sell. And then I'll have gotten, I'll have gotten the entire series of Absolute Carnage, including the tie-ins I didn't read. And I could really tie-ins bogging down the main storyline so let's see and now now we're going into the tie-in so empire uh empire four and five are coming out there'll probably be an empire six and an empire omega so there are always eight issues in general um squadron supreme two of two will come out uh empire captain america two of three will have come out in june empire storm ranger i don't even know who that is Let's let's see the covers of Storm Ranger. Oh, they're pretty cool. I'm looking at looks like I'm looking at Nebula and uh, symbiote version of uh, of her sister there. And what do we got on this one? Oh, that looks like. Jeez, uh, that doesn't even look like Nebula, and I can't even remember her sister's name right now. I was literally watching Avengers minutes ago. I was watching Avengers. I'm walking on this walk. I walked by my son's daycare, which we took him out of for this whole coronavirus stuff. But there's kids there. There's actually kids there. So obviously, so they didn't close down. So I can actually leave them here if I needed to. But I think it's like probably like nurses' children, doctors, doctors' children. So me and my wife can work from home, and doctors can't. So there's a good eight kids playing in this backyard right here. Scary. Uh, anyway, back to comics. Um, Empire Storm, two of three, by Ram B, who is writing uh, Justice League Dark. See, look at all these. Like, listen, what they'll say is you're not meant to read them all. That's what they'll say. But you know, then then your marketing's off. Your marketing should be different. You know, I, I can get Hickman saying that because everything doesn't say like Dawn of X or Hickman's Mutants. You know, but when you're just plastering it, it's like, it's like draining for the, for the reader or the person that wants to, to follow it. I'm saying I'm not following it or reading this because of all the, all the tie-ins. And I know that they would say that you don't have to read them all to get the main story, 
but you, if you feel like you're missing something, if you're a reader, you feel like you're missing something if you're doing that, you know? So, anyway, Strike Force number 10. This is not something I read, but hey, it's almost like um, a Darker Avengers. I might actually like it. The art, to be honest, um, is that you similar complaint you hear me complaining about is that, you know, the cartoony art doesn't always match certain things. Uh, Dylan Burnett should be in certain kind of kind of comic books. And this, I mean, Dylan Burnett's not writing Strike Force, but it's a uh, German Peralta. I think it's good. So that might be a different artist than, than Strike Force number one. Lords of Empire. So is that even a, it's a tie-in because they spell Empire in that way that they spell it. Empire Avengers, three of three. Empire Spider-Man, three of three by Karen Killam. Something else that's cool though too, which grabbed me, I think, and, and I'm going to say something positive about tie-ins is that it's a short stories that are based on the wider, wider continuity about an event that's happening with big characters. And you could put, like, new artists on them and new writers on them, you know? So in, in some cases, you put Jim Zub, who's, you know, pretty, pretty well-known. Um, in other cases, on Spider-Man, this guy, whoever he is, maybe I should know him, but Taron Killam and Diego Olortegui, uh, get a real chance. Umberto Ramos is, I've already seen a bunch of covers of his, that's a solid cover for Empire Spider-Man, but they get a chance, you know, and I think that's how I discovered Juan Ferreira, who is, you know, we still haven't given him a huge book, so he's on Spider-Man Noir right now, but he did, uh, he did the War of the Realm, the Punisher War of the Realms tie-in, which was a solidly written book. It was good. I think Jerry Duggan did it. And, um, but the art was great. And then he also did the the post-War of the Realms uh, a book that involved the Punisher and, and all the Thor villains, which was Punisher Kill Crew, and that book was beautiful. Um, in fact, I'm starting to think maybe he didn't do that other Punisher book, because uh, his, his Kill Crew really stayed with me. It's a beautiful book. So I don't think he's the Punisher, the actual tie-in to the Punisher. So... Let's not stop there. This one I'm actually buying. This is the only Empire book I'm buying um, floppies of, and that is Empire X-Men. So three of four of four are coming out, and Brisson's writing it. Jonathan Hickman's writing number four, so good for them. They got me on one, one miniseries. The Union, um, I don't even know if that's Empire. It doesn't start with it. Captain Marvel. So this looks like, Captain Marvel actually looks like it's... Uh, not crossing over. And how is the United Preschool Empire going to react to three more accusers? Oh, it does. Never mind. Uh, Fantastic 423. I feel like everyone's um, stopped reading this, to be honest. I don't I didn't hear a lot of people on Twitter or on YouTube talking about uh, Fantastic Four. So, so something to keep an eye on, at least. Uh, amazing Spider-Man Annual 21, the facsimile edition. What else we got here? X-Men 30 facsimiles. I've been picking up these facsimiles. I was not getting them, and then um, recently I picked up all of them up. But I'll just be honest, man. The way Marvel does it is that they're printing out, like, keys. They're doing facsimiles of keys or grails or whatever, however, whatever collector word you want to use majority aren't good, you know, like, why don't they do facsimiles of early X-Men so we can read Claremont? 
you know, and I think he's doing that a little bit better. Uh, Juggernaut 2 of 5 is coming out. I, um, I've been questioning if this was an X-Book for a while, but, uh, I think, uh, ooh, there's Leon for you. I don't think it is. I think that Juggernaut's possibly moving more into the wider Marvel Universe, but we'll see. We'll see as this comes out. The solicits have implied, to me at least, that it is not a, it is not an X-Book. So now I have to like sort of not look at these solicits because I don't want to know what's going on, but these are the X-Books, so X-Men number 12. This is the lead-in to the first event for X-Men. I'll be buying that, that's for sure, and I don't know if it's going through the books. I actually didn't see, it would be in the July solicits. I actually didn't see any, uh, I actually didn't see any, I haven't heard that if it's going to be its own series called, um, Sword of X or X Sword or whatever it's going to be called, but, um, apparently number 12 is the lead in. Children of the Atom will be at number three. If there's a book, I don't, I would not read on these X titles, this Children of the Atom book. It just, it doesn't interest me. Uh, we have enough young X-Men. We don't need a new set, and if they have a reason or some manner of letting me know that it's different for some reason, then I mean I'm gonna pick it up anyway. What the hell am I? What the hell am I saying? But like I'm picking it up with uh, trepidation, and it's definitely the most likely as of now before I've read it. Definitely the most likely book I'm gonna draw. And in general, I'm thinking about just going to issue 12s on all of these, and then uh, then switching the trades. Because I don't, I think that they'll be easy to find if I suddenly am dying to get single issues of these floppies. Um, next up, I'm gonna take off the sweatshirt. So have, have fun listening to that. Oh, there we go. Uh, next up on the list is we'll be at X Factor Three. I think as I say this, X Factor 1 was supposed to come out this week, and who knows how that's going to work if, you know, all the comic stores and Diamond literally shut down yesterday as of uh, as of this recording, so there's more context for you for when I'm, when I'm reading this. Uh, but I think X Factor 3 has a lot of hope because it's going to focus more on the, the not dying sort of thing and, and who's... I guess, for lack of a better word, who's worthy enough to uh, to get resurrected uh, by the that mutant protocol that we've been hearing so much about. After that is Hellions. Now, here's a book that I really don't know anything about, except for um, when they were revealing individual characters. It was taking them for you know, it was taking them a minute. They were just showing silhouettes and stuff. Um, so I actually don't know what it's about, but I'm happy to see Mr. Sinister is going to be, uh, uh, you know, have a spotlight here, I hope anyway. So I'm going to read it just in case. Goblin Queen, Madeline Pryor, talk about return that could raise some havoc. And Havoc's on the cover. Let's see if Sinister's on the cover. We don't want to get too, we don't want to get too deep into the solicits. No, I don't see Sinister anywhere. see a bunch of, I see that dead egg. Uh, I, we need Mr. Sinister mixed in here. We get a lot of Apocalypse, which I like. And, you know, he they've been doing well as far as balancing him 
on the, um, on the, he's still evil, but he's a mutant, and, and, and there's some agreement on either side, they've been doing that well, like, surprisingly well, but, um, I mean, on another level, they haven't, like, why wouldn't, I don't know, we talk about Apocalypse later, but we haven't got a ton of Mr. Sinister, and, and what he could be doing in his whole thing, you know, he just showed up a couple times in Fallen Angels, maybe in another book, and that was about it, so, Cable number four, a lot of people like number one, I liked number one, I just didn't love it like some people did, um, but uh, Jerry Duggan's great, and the uh, Phil Noto art is, is worth the price of admission, I can talk a lot about Phil Noto, especially comparing him to, uh, comparing to someone like Christian Ward, because Noto is like, om- almost more, um, cleaner, and I don't mean that, that it's better as a compliment, you know, his, his painterly style is more clean, or Christian Ward, you know, sometimes has more feeling with his style that, you know, seems like wider brush strokes and stuff. So, Giant Size X-Men Storm number one, uh, I just have to complain a little bit, because I know that Giant Size X-Men Emma and Jean Grey is, you know, already came out, it was basically about Storm, it was wordless. I didn't buy the stupid book, because I ordered a cool, sort of a cool cover I liked, and I was willing I rarely do this, but I was willing to pay more money for it from Comics Elite, and it's like their C2E2 cover, and I feel like it's taken a really long time to get here. As It's like, when did that come out? And it's already March 24th, and I haven't gotten that book yet. So I, I guess I have to follow up with them. I mean, they, they've just not been good with communicating that. When I asked them, they were like, hey, is C2E2 and this Contagion thing? I was like, I mean, okay. That's fine, but there's, you know, they're still doing, like, three-hour sales and stuff. Get your shipping done. Um, Wolverine number five uh, is Benjamin Percy and Victor Bogdanovich. So we should get very, we should be a lot deeper right now. There was questions about, and I didn't read the solicits for two, three, four. I might dip into five here just to just sort of know what's going on. But in Wolverine one, you had, like, two distinct stories and they both ended with to be continued, and there's a question on which ones are actually going to be told. And I hope they don't do that, like, New Mutants thing where one or two issues follows up on the vampire thing, and then one or two issues follows up on the, um, geez, what was the other one? Oh, the pseudo X-Files thing, you know, but we'll see how that works out. Uh, so, but, uh, that book was good. I enjoyed it. Obviously, the first issue was too expensive, but we'll see what's, we'll see what's happening, we'll see what's happening after that. Uh, so it looks like they're, they're following up on the vampire side in, uh, at least by number five, uh, Marvel Tales, Captain Britain, Chris Claremont wrote it. I can't even tell if this is a, this is generally a, these are generally reprints. Yeah, it looks like the reprints of Excalibur and Marvel team up and stuff. Uh, Excalibur number 12, uh, must start. So, they're still dealing with whatever ritual Apocalypse is up to. Maybe they'll make him a villain soon, but I, someone told me he's a hero in Sword of X, so I'll believe that when I see that. And then a whole bunch of X-Men True Believers. I'll be picking all these up. Uh, you know, Sinister Number 1, which is actually something I'll end up buying. The affordable keys, especially for, like, things I've liked as a child, say the X-Men. You know, I have Apocalypse First Appearance, and I don't really care about conditions, so I normally can pick them up pretty cheap when I see them for cheap enough, and that Mr. Sinister is, uh, 
I think it's a, a similar price to the Apocalypse one, so you should be able to find it for 15 or less. Um, regular price, if you just looked at prices, is around 20 But if you know you want it, and you can accept the fact that you don't need it right away, then eventually you'll find it for that price that's 20%, even 50% cheaper if you just have it in your head. Wild Child, I'm going to assume these are all first appearances because they're just called Wild Child number one. <laughs> and uh, Nanny and Orphan Maker number one. Let's see, Empath number one. So they've already done a lot of these True Believers. So they're going a lot deeper. There's Havoc number one. True Believers reprinting X-Men 58 from 1963. Havoc's a little older than I thought he was. I mean, as far as first appearance goes. Um, Soul Sword. Saturnine. What else? Magic. That's a pretty cool one. That should have been in... Oh, Magic number one. I would have guessed Magic's first appearance would have been in New Mutants, but hey, what's going on? Whatever. X-Men. Dawn. Dawn of X Saga number one. Let's see what it reprints here. Uh, who knows? Normally it says at the bottom here, and I'm... Well... Oh, it's $3.99. I thought it was the huge reprint. So what this obviously does is probably just like a mini preview of all the stuff that happened. So not something I'd be interested in. Marauders 12. Uh, see, I shouldn't have read that. I shouldn't have read that solicit there. Because <laughs> for Marauders 12, it just gave, it, gave me a little bit of a spoiler for what's going on. New Mutants number 12. And they have their way of striking back. So... Covers and New Mutants have been really cool lately, but um, that that solicit is the way solicits should be, to be honest. Like, if you want me to be honest, it didn't tell me that much. It says everyone's lashing out at Krakoa, and the New Mutants have a way to fight back. Uh, apparently, school's out. All the bells are still on at school. Uh, let's see, where were we? Um, but yes, that is, to me, the superior way. Not like, you know, if you read that Marauders thing, I got a spoiler in there, uh, just for the sake of doing this, uh, uh, doing this little podcast here. Oh, geez, there's so much more. We'll be talking comics for a while, guys. Um, where do we go? There's New Warriors. That's, that's caused a little bit of stir, hasn't it? Oh, there we go. Oh, there's not that much. Uh, New Mutants number 12, like I said, X-Force number 12. I've enjoyed this a lot. At the beginning, it was my favorite. I think X-Men's sort of taken over. Um, and X-Force is mostly because, hey, I like, I bought into the Hawkspox stuff. And so I want to see where that goes. X-Force at the beginning was seemed more involved with that stuff than, than even X-Men was. And now it's going off into its own storyline, which is also a pretty cool storyline to be awesome. And it's the best art. Of all the books, the X-Force has the best art, for the most part, when uh, Juan Casera's doing it. So, um, you know, they're doing some crazy stuff. The Cerebro Sword, I didn't want to read that. I just read, oh, that's all I read right now. I didn't want to read the rest of the solicit. Because the Cerebro, the Cerebro Sword sounds awesome. I don't care. All you have to do is have read or watched X-Men, the X-Men cartoon. Cerebro Sword, what the hell is that? Uh, so, a lot of these, like, Alex Ross spin-off stuff is coming out all at once. And uh, the only one I really bought was Marvel's X number one. I thought it was good. I really like Well B. And um, Jim Kruger, who wrote Marvel's back in the day too, is a, a writer that I think is um, 
underrated, hasn't been with Marvel. He wrote Impact Theory's uh, book um, that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, sort of a very tropey. Like, it, it wasn't super original, but it was just well-written, which is Jim Kruger's thing, because it looked like someone else probably de developed the story. Impact Theory is the is the imprint, and I can't remember the name of the book right now, uh, even though I talk, seem to talk about it all the time. But Jim Kruger wrote, uh, you know, wrote the story, uh, and it seems like maybe he was only part of the development. But that overall concept, if I explained it, is pretty tropey as far as, uh, you know, almost has a Blade Runner-esque feel. Uh, with a, you know, a touch of the Matrix, let's say. But um, the book was actually, when you read it, you're like, oh, despite it being, you know, somewhat predictable plot, like, Jim Kruger's a really good writer. So, you know, him writing Marvel's X uh, excited me, but I only bought number one. Uh, most people that I respect liked it, that read it. Uh, so it is something I would definitely buy and trade, and now that it's at number six, I know I can do that. But along with that is Marvel's number two, written by Kurt Busiek. And Marvel, number four of six. So who knows, like, I don't even know why you would put all three of those down at the same time. It feels like if you just want, like, a sort of continuous Alex Ross-influenced book that, you know, that's trying to tap into the love of Kingdom Come and Marvel's X and whatnot and Universe X or whatever, that you would, you would stagger them a little bit more. But instead you have four, three coming out at the same time. So... Uh, then there's another snapshot book, Silver, Civil War snapshot. So this must be like, um, these must be, uh, they're just doing full summary books, I guess, for $3.99. Interesting. America Chavez, Made in the USA, Kalinda Vasquez, Carlos Gomez. Not something I'd probably pick up, but one of those things where if one of the reviewers I listen to really likes it, maybe I'll come back around to it when I see it for cheaper, you know. And, uh... And then we're going to hit up some annuals. Uh, you know, how do you guys feel about annuals? It, it's like they, they can be so hit or miss and you can never know. Like a storyline that you don't like could have the best annual. Like I'm not reading Captain Marvel, but let's say I pick up the Captain Marvel on a whim, the annual, and then I could love it. And then like Venom's annual I can dislike. I mean, it shows you how much more it's about the the writer and artist than it is really about the character and I think sometimes we focus on characters like you know people will just write off Captain Marvel right they'll just some people don't like her some people love her or some people write off Venom because of his 90s-ness um, and there's a bunch of characters like that I just don't like that character and, and hey that could be true but when I know a good writer I'd be more apt to go read it uh, read a character I didn't really love or a character or, uh, or a book that I'm trying to avoid. I'm trying to avoid Amazing Spider-Man, but when, I'm not saying if, it's definitely happening. When Donny Cates takes it over, I'm going to probably go read it, you know? So on that side, I, I spend a lot of time being disappointed by annuals, but on another level, they're almost like, if you remember in the eighties and nineties, probably early two thousands too, but who knows? I definitely, I was still buying CDs and stuff then. I'm still buying CDs now, vinyl now. But you'd get these mixtapes for the particular for a particular um, for a particular uh, genre or a particular record company. So I remember like the Fat Rec Records mixtapes. They were like they were all like some joke about being fat. To be honest, um, probably not. That probably wouldn't be taken the same way today. Uh, same way with the Punkorama mixtapes. 
from Epitaph. Uh, I wouldn't like every song on them, but they were cheap, so that's one thing. These aren't that cheap, these annuals. But you'd get to know more stuff, and it was a way to like sort of touch on um, different you know, thoughts or ideas within that record company or genre. And that's the way I see annuals. The problem is, is that I'm often disappointed by the stories. I think it's actually very hard to tell a short story, you know, these eight pages or whatnot. Very rarely do I like them. And, uh, and that might be a little bit of me. I might have to change my head on them. Or to be honest, uh, writers can't even tell 22 page stories right now. Like everything has to be a, a six story arc, which is better. I think that's a, a cooler form of writing the same way that I think a TV show, a good series or a season of 12 or 20 episodes is better than a film. But, uh, nonetheless, there's eight pagers and 12 pagers and whatnot in these annuals. And that's just a, a harder form to write well or harder form to write in a manner that I care for it. But like I just said, it's almost like a mixtape. They put a lot of new people in it and, and you can sort of start seeing, get a taste of, who, you know, who, who has promised, who you might want to follow. And if you are trying to keep an open mind like I am, if a book is really good in an annual, or if a writer or artist is really good in an annual, then that might make me more apt to read like a Miss Marvel book or, uh, or a, uh, or, uh, whatever, Squirrel, Squirrel Girl book or something, you know? So, um, so a bunch of annuals are supposed to be coming out. Silver Surfer Director's Cut, I'm told that Silver Surfer Director's Cut came out as a, um, came out digitally already, so I wonder if it's going to be the exact same thing. So someone I follow, his name's Chad on, um, 90MF Comics or something, I think it's 90MF Comics, he always says YouTube is 90 when he jumps in on chats or comments or whatever. Um, he read Silver Silver Black digitally, bought it digitally. He said that you automatically got the director's cut and he knows a few other things like certain, like these char those characters that are in the first issue that are protecting the gates of the main enemy of the series are actually characters Donny Cates has ideas of. So they're, those are first appearances really, even though he hasn't developed or done anything else with them. Um, but there's director's cut one and two coming out. So I don't know if I'll buy those really because I have... I bought the floppies of Silver Surfer. I bought a couple, I bought a couple variant covers, right? When, you know, when I purchased other things and second printings that I liked the covers of were cheap. I think with like Tifa or something, there was like a second printing of number three. I liked the cover and it was a dollar. I threw it on there, you know, like, you know, the thought is to make shipping uh, more reasonable or, or worth it but I probably wouldn't have bought that book otherwise. So I have a bunch of that, and I have the Treasury Edition that I got for pretty cheap on on Amazon. It was just on sale, and I picked it up, and it, you know, it's big and beautiful and huge, and if I ever read Silver Surfer again, it would be in the Treasury Edition, Silver Surfer Black, anyway. So I don't know that I need the director's cuts, but I would really like to read the back matter, so if I know someone that read those, um, I will pick it up. I mean, it, that, those director's cuts, director's cuts might also be in um, Marvel Unlimited, which I'm thinking of getting, especially if my intention is to cut down on this. I could do another podcast of stuff premiering on Marvel Unlimited that'd be like a solicit podcast, but I'd be talking about the same books, like just staggered over like two months before they came out. I'd be talking about them when they came out, at least the ones that I buy. I'd be talking about them when they're solicited two months before, and then I'd be talking to them like six months later. 
when they're appearing on Marvel Unlimited. I mean, that'd be cool, but it's maybe too much. I mean, I feel like whenever I do these, I have these new opinions or a new spin. Like, I've never talked about, and it's only the initial stages of me thinking about it, but I've never talked about, uh, um, you know, the big events and how I would think of it in my, you know, my job as operations and financial analyst and business analyst and what data I would need and what would correlate. I've never done that before. So I, I always find something, I guess. So maybe I can talk about the same solicits or the same books three times. What will be interesting about that is right now I'm talking about books that either I haven't read or I'm two issues behind on. So the X books, I'm like, I can't read the solicits, right? But on um, on some of these books, I'll have read them and they'll be reviews. So those will be smaller because I'm talking about all the solicits here. So that'll be a smaller group, right? But when I do the Marvel Unlimited stuff, you know, before it comes out, if I were to do it, I will have read a lot of these books and I will have read a couple, you know, maybe five issues afterwards. I'll be able to tell you whether it's worth it or not, or worth your time. And then, if I have Marvel Unlimited, I'll be able to read the books that I didn't want to buy at the time, but I could read them digitally, and then I'll have these six-month-later opinions. So, I mean, the one thing about comic book YouTube and comic book podcasts and whatnot is that there's a lot to talk about and a lot of context that you can talk about them. Like, you don't, you don't ever run out of things, uh, especially if you're okay with talking or... Like, you have too much shit going in your head anyway. So, there you go. Uh, Web of Spider-Man 1 to 5. So, that's something I'll probably grab. Because it's it's 5. I get a little bit of my Spider-Man fix, uh, fix done. Taskmaster will be on number 3 of 5. Black Widow will be number 3. A lot of Kelly Thompson fans out there. I've been meaning to choose a Kelly Thompson book. Um, which might be Deadpool. But, uh, I, you know, Scotty Young's Deadpool didn't impress me. It was a way for me to get to stop it. Uh, and, um, I guess number ones do that too. Like if you've collected the whole series and then it starts at number one with a new writer, you'd be like, okay, I didn't like it that much. I'm going to stop it. But I'd rather it not be, um, if I started buying Deadpool again, it'll be for a separate reason. It won't be because of Kelly Thompson. I do, I have been wanting to look at some of Kelly Thompson's work a little bit closely because she's, it's someone that I haven't like, I don't have a real opinion on, but, uh, but it's a very prolific writer. New Warriors 3 of 5 will come out. I am so excited to know what the state of people's thoughts of New Warriors will be at number when they're at issue number 3. I mean, that trailer, you know, showing Snowflake and screen time, I mean, they were really on the nose, but, like, it made the comic skaters really mad, and that was the point. And it's just a bunch of videos of people that don't even read comics giving their opinion about it. I don't think, I feel like a lot of them didn't realize that, you know, it was making a joke about them. What I found really interesting was the LGBT community plus Q, I don't, you know, I I try to do my best with that. Um, So please correct me. I will do it the right way if I'm doing that wrong. But uh, the way that community also didn't like it, that's what took me by surprise. Because my context was making these fiery mad people more mad. And I thought it was funny. And I thought Dan Kibblesmith was actually... I thought his Black Panther versus Deadpool was actually funny. Uh, a lot of people just think it's throwaway books, but I, I liked them. They were making me laugh, and it was in the context of being somewhat disappointed by Scotty Young's run of the main Deadpool story. <coughs> that when I read it, 
was cracking me up. Like I was laughing. I was reading it and there was a joke and I thought it was funny. I laughed like comedy's the easiest thing. That's why some dumb sitcoms I consider good, like Big Bang Theory or something. When I watch it, I laughed. Like there's an easy, there's an easy formula for that. You know, there's great comedies or stuff that's deep, but this was an easy formula. That, that is an easy formula for what Deadpool's supposed to be. And with Scotty Young's, I didn't. With Kibble Smith's Black Panther versus Deadpool, I did. And I know that's a throwaway book for a lot of people, but I laughed. So I thought this was funny originally, but now the context, you know, that I read of uh, people that are actually uh, non-binary and stuff like that, um, you know, all the gender fluid stuff people, you know, I have to listen to what they think. And, uh, and, and so I have, and I've sort of put that on hold because I, I, I realized that, hey, they also don't like it. It's like the one time, like, these both sides, like, agree with each other, and there's someone in the middle that, that you know, just likes to observe the stuff um, who is probably wrong. Like, the sort of center idea was probably wrong, some, some understanding I had overall. But we'll be, we'll be into the third of five issues of it uh, by, by June, maybe July, depends, right, how comics go. And uh, I'm very curious to see what we're thinking of then. The truth is, is by the time you get to a third issue of a book that isn't huge, you know, New Warriors aren't huge. Uh, by the time you get to the third issue, any kind of controversy sort of die down. You know, like, not going to get as many videos about it, you know, so. Power Pack, three of five. Uh, nothing about this grabs me. Ryan North is writing it. Nick Leone is drawing it. Champions number three. So there'll be a big mix with Champions and Outlawed in sort of a mini a uh, mini event about younger heroes being outlawed from being heroes. <coughs> Excuse me. And I'm, I'm going to wait to see if people think that's good, to whether I read it. That might be like, that would be more like uh, something that goes under the, if I had Marvel Unlimited, I'll read it six months later or something. Uh, Magnificent Miss Marvel, still going strong at number 16, uh, doing her own thing. Strange Academy had a lot of like buzz at the beginning, and you haven't heard a ton about it since then. Uh, but Scott Young is a good writer. I don't want, I don't want people to think I don't think he's a good writer. I think he's a great writer, uh, especially um, Middle West and stuff. But you know, Deadpool is a very simple character, and you know, you you can make interesting stories with him. You could sort of go off the deep end with him, but in the end, like, I really have to laugh, and I, and I did a lot with Scotty Young's. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't want to read Strange Academy, though, but it's just one I'll wait on. And then we'll still be in, like, a lot of this 2020 stuff. Um, so, 2020, I, Wolverine, number two of two. I think the way they get around being able to use Wolverine in the regular Marvel Universe or this 2020 world is uh, by making him a clone, <laughs> essentially. Iron Man 2020 will be ending. We'll be wrapping up six of six. That was, uh, I think that's going to be seen as sort of a failed uh, event. Um, and I, I'm surprised anyone's still reading it. I don't really hear any good reviews on the on Iron Man 2020 number one. Uh, and this is something I find interesting. Ed Brisson's writing it. Declan Shelby is drawing it. So I'd be more drawn. I like Ed Brisson fine. I read a lot of his books. But I'm more drawn by Declan Shelby, Shelby um, drawing the book. But bringing Barracuda into the regular Marvel Universe. For, so for those that don't know, Barracuda is um, a major bad guy in... Garth Ennis's Punisher uh, Max series, which is which is actually separate from the whole 
from uh, the, the main Marvel Universe for a lot of reasons. If you read it, you go, oh, yeah, superheroes don't exist in this world. Uh, but they're bringing that character Barracuda in, which is... Uh, which is which could be pretty cool, but also also might not be that cool, just for the simple fact that it's going to be uh, more of a PG thirteen nature on it. Uh, Werewolf by Night that has a lot of hope. I know a lot of people really love the old series. They, I see it in collections all the time, uh, but who knows who knows if that's good? And I don't know that Marvel can do a real horror book nowadays in the context that they write. Spider-Man Noir, this is something I'm definitely buying. First issue, writing-wise, was good. It was just a lot of setup. So it's hard to say whether that'll actually be good or that, or actually that. The setup was fine, though, so it has a lot of promise. But like I said earlier, Ron, Juan Ferreira, he's the guy. He's the, he's the dude that I'm paying attention to. Um, let's see here. We still going? Good. We're an hour in. But we're almost done here. Uh, Gwen Stacy, 5 of 5, Second Street Marvel on YouTube. He's reading that. He seems to enjoy it. Spider-Woman, mixed feelings about this. Um, I, I wasn't, I don't remember the Spider-Woman boom. I know she seemed to be everywhere, but it didn't seem to be any of the cartoons I was watching. Uh, and then we're uh, at Amazing, which we've discussed. Nick Spencer's still on that. It's already at number, number 50, which is pretty big. I'd be more, I'd be more likely and it's sad to say this, to read Miles Morales' Spider-Man jumping on that by uh, Saladin Ahmed for no good reason except that. Except that. I don't know how I feel about Spider-Man. It's about amazing, to be honest. I, it might be the Nick Spencer thing, but I, I sort of like Nick Spencer, so it's hard to say. Um, Morbius, which I thought was a miniseries, is uh, number eight. And um, all these Spider-Man sort of family books, I'm surprised how few of them I'm reading, with the exception of Venom, which is at 27, 28. And that's barely, that's barely a Spider-Man book, right? It's almost its own world at this point. I mean, it's, uh, it's going to drive its own, it's already driven its own big event. And eventually it's going to drive the Null stuff whenever Donny Cates feels like uh, getting that done. And then we got the big books that are deeper into their runs, which is funny because they don't put those on top. It's funny the way the comics world works because you know that Guardians of the Galaxy is not a huge book, but it, it's a, it, at least something that they want to keep going, want to have an issue out. Uh, but Thor's way down here by Donny Cates. This is a this is a solicit I have to avoid. I will look at the covers though. Um, I want to say that yeah, they're both beautiful covers. The Nick Klein cover, and then uh, looks like uh, Groot and Iron Man are going to be all around the hammer. So obviously Donny's doing something with the hammer. I think we're only on number four. So this is three issues ahead, so I have to be careful here. But I just want to say, uh, oh, Aaron Cooter's doing the art now by this time. Oh, man. I hope Nick Klein has just taken a break, man. Because Nick Klein is is one of my favorite artists. And I was so excited for him to get the Thor book. And I hope he, I hope he's still on it. I hope it's just a, an off month, as they want to do in Marvel books. Doctor Strange. I got turned off by issue one. I know some people like it. But if, if you're trying to if you're trying to entice me by using the wrecker, then you're not gonna entice me. That's just a fact there for me. And then here's a couple books. I don't know anyone that's reading Falcon and Winter Soldier. It'll be ending uh, five of five at that time. And you know, that's one that I would really have needed someone to tell me was good. And then I would have, you know, if I buy Unlimited, I'd have gotten it in Marvel Unlimited kind of thing. I talked about it then. Doctor Doom, 
I know some people were really into it at the beginning, and, and now it seems to have trailed off as far as my circle of comic readers on, on YouTube and Twitter and whatnot. I don't hear a lot of people talking a lot about it at all. Uh, Salvador La Roca art, though, um, you know, I think that would work for Doctor Doom. I don't know that it worked, it worked good enough for Star Wars, but I am uh, understanding of some of the criticism in Star Wars. But I think that photorealistic stuff is necessary for Star Wars when you're doing characters who in our minds are they have a picture in our heads already when it's not then not so much you know uh, i i think uh i am not the only one even if you're reading savage avengers to be surprised it's gone to number 14 good for that book i like number one but i uh, didn't come around to it ghost rider here's one that i will have to not read the solicit like i said earlier uh it's just that's just my wheelhouse the sort of uh tongue-in-cheek dark stuff dark hold ghost rider stuff the annual is coming out. That's Ed Brisson, Howard Mackey. So uh, we'll take a look at that. I mean, you don't even have to look at a Ghost Rider cover, even when you, even when it's not your favorite one. They're pretty cool. There's a Vengeance cover for the uh, annual number one, so that's exciting. And then I'm more into the area of books that I don't, I don't really ever read or know anything about. Even though I like Vida Ayala, you got Nebula, who's uh, going. I didn't even know Runaways was still going. This must have a a large following among. Um, younger comic readers that I don't see on YouTube or Instagram or Twitter. Um, but how that's going number to 34, I don't know. I, I'm having a really tough time getting through uh, Runaways, the TV show. The second, the first season was pretty good. Oh man, the second season is really tough for me. And I know there's a third season. Same with um, Cloak and Dagger, man. There's just too melodramatic for me. But I, I'm still the guy that wants to watch all the MCU stuff, so I have that going for me. Immortal Hulk's on number 37. That is uh, not surprising, even though I think that the tone of the book changed, but good for Al Ewing that he would take that kind of risk because people loved 1 through 24 so much. I know number 25 was a little bit weird, and then number 26 to probably 37 here were... Um, you know, the tone completely changed, but it seems like people are still on it, still like it, uh, but I, I'm pretty sure those first 24 issues are going to be considered a classic run. I thought I'd read two trades of it, but it turns out that I've read one trade of it, so that's something I definitely got to catch up on. Probably check it out from the library when those reopen here uh, in trade. <clears throat> Captain America, still doing, still by ta Coates. I can't believe that. And then, um, this is pretty big, and See, this is the kind of thing that, that should lead this next one. When Ta-Nehisi Coates is ending his run on, on Black Panther, I mean, what has it got now? Two or three years? And it's Black Panther number 25, so that's still a mile start, a mile um, issue. And I know it started over a couple times and whatnot, but nonetheless, it's a 25. You know, that should, that should be the thing leading that. You know, this here's the end, and here's a bunch of other copies of the books. But we're so afraid, and me too, we're so afraid of second prints and whatnot. But, um, hey, it is the end of the era for the Black Panther as Tony C. Coates concludes his Wakandan epic. So I'm happy to see that. I really liked that what, War of Wakanda stuff, that or that intergalactic Wakanda stuff. I, I really enjoyed the two or three books I read, um, but I never got into it where I was buying it monthly and stuff, so... That is something I will uh, I will have to revisit in the future. Valkyrie Jane Foster. I mean, that's got to be going still because Jason Aaron's writing it, right? 
Uh, who knows? Maybe it's good. It's funny. Daredevil is probably the most uh, respected book right now. Although Wednesday Serial, uh, Matt Wednesday Serial, I think I think that's the name of his YouTube channel, has uh, was disappointed by it. He's really the only one. Everyone else that's read it seems to really love it. And I got to about issue eight, and I missed a couple issues, and then I kept buying the issues afterwards. So I think there's one or two holes in it, but I have not. Um, I have not picked it back up and started reading it yet. And then we're into the um, the Asian characters, which I wish had more support. Marvel's obviously supporting them as much as possible because they um, they look like they're all about on issue 12. So Arrow number 12, Swordmaster number 12, which I'm still buying, also behind on. Uh, it looks like those are the other two because I don't see uh, Atlas, Agents of Atlas yet. Deadpool number 8, we talked about. Kelly Thompson's still writing that. Uh, I have number 1. I liked it. Just haven't bought it. Uh, Conan, number 17, and Robert E. Howard's Dark Agnes, 5 of 5. I feel like they changed the title of that to Robert E. Howard's Dark Agnes. So, um, Conan I like. I like, I've liked what Jim Zub has done so far. Um, I'm not sure that this is the end or the beginning to what he's doing, but, uh, I've, uh, I've enjoyed what he's done at the, at least these first two issues. We'll be three more in by this time. Dark Agnes, I literally have a box. As I was about to record this, my mail order box from GMAR Comics came in. And two issues of Dark Agnes are in it. So I will read those shortly. I have no idea whether it's good. But after reading The Serpent Crown, Dark Agnes was a big character in that along with Conan and Moon Knight. And the Puritan, um, I liked her character enough that I wanted to see what what uh, what happens to her in her own little mini-series. Um, not The Serpent Crown, because that's what's happening now. It was something else, serpent. There's lots of serpents right now in in Conan books. Um, and then, of course, Star Wars is going really strong. Bounty Hunters number five will be out. Ethan Sachs wrote a great number one. Um, Darth Vader. Also, I have both issues. I heard number one was really good uh, by Greg Pak. I have both of those issues sitting in a box in my garage right now. Uh, I have to decide whether I want to open them because we've been pretty good about quarantining. Star Wars number seven. I'm sure Charles Soule has big things happening. Charles Soule is like a long-term payoff kind of guy. So the fir- these first issues were great, as were his Dark Darth Vader, his Darth Vader run. But um, but it wasn't till like the last six when the story he wanted to tell is like coming together. So let's say he has a 25-issue run of Star Wars, like um, like he did a Darth Vader then it's that's when we're going to realize that it's this classic run and the truth is is that in my opinion we've had two classic runs in general on uh on star wars um i love jason aaron's run at the beginning for started a couple years ago and i really 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 loved kieran gillen's run and greg pock's little arc was good too um i didn't actually finish it so i need to go back and finish it i'm missing one issue of it so uh but the three that i did read were very good also but I mean, Gillen and Aaron are great, and Charles Soule's already proven he's a great writer, so I expect big things from the Star Wars. I mean, it's almost like my expectations are too high, you know, like it, like, could it end the way I want it to kind of thing, so um, big ups to him. Dr. Afra will have um, restarted, as I said before, I've, I was trying to collect hardcovers, so I'm behind on Afra. I've only read the first two volumes, and I wasn't buying floppies, and then they stopped making hardcovers, so, or hardcovers of everything at least. Uh, there will also be the Rise of uh, Skywalker adaption. I hope something interesting happens in that. Uh, and then we hit up all the omnibuses and stuff. A lot of this is actually what I'm going to buy 
that is, um, you know, two months later, or in this case, the Eternals by Jack Kirby monster size. So that retails for 125. But if you get it, <clears throat> if you and it's a hardcover, and if you get it on, you know, if you get it, um, uh, uh, pre-ordered, it's you know at least 35 or at least 30 percent cheaper. So. That would be an idea, but that's still pretty expensive to pay for a book like that. So a whole bunch of that stuff. Anyway, I'm going to cut this off. Thank you for staying with me so long. If you did, my name's Chris Sarda, at Chaos and Comics on Instagram and Twitter. You can also find me at Chris Sarda on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I talk less about comics there. That's more my general account. And then, of course, YouTube, where I show a lot of comic hauls. In fact, after I record this, uh, I'm going to record the comic haul of those, that big G-Mart box, which will be a video. I'll show those comics. We'll talk about comics or whatever I go live and stuff that'll probably be out before this before I actually release this I have to like load this up and whatnot and make thumbnails and stuff so anyway guys thanks for listening let me know what you think find me uh, at chaos and comics find me on YouTube uh, at chaos and comics you just do slash chaos and comics to be honest so anyway thank you guys for listening you guys have a great day and I will see you sometime in the future or soon because there's image solicits to talk about. See you guys later.